0: Well, welcome back to back on the bus podcast this time around we have uh, our first non-canadian rider guest and uh, he's a great guy a longtime friend someone I go way back with he he runs his own podcast called life in the peloton he rides for EF education first his name is Mitch Docker and you know, one of the things that we always try and we want to stick to is a is a good Canadian base. But I feel like Australians have a very similar outlook to Canadians and a, and a very similar path to the World Tour because they have to travel massive distances and spend a lot of time away from home. And Mitch shares some stories about the evolution of a professional rider over you know over a ten year career plus and. The things that you have to do to, to kind of survive in that world, the rider that you came in in as is not always going to be the same on your way out. And so Mitch has just announced that he's retiring this year and he has a bit of a different schedule than, than what he has normally had in, uh, in the past. And he's taking on some of these bikepacking, uh, races and events. So, you know, EF education first. They definitely promote that, and I think it's a great way for him to spend his his final season to transition out of this this crazy sport. So we we really hope you enjoy this one. I know uh, for Randy and I, it was uh, it was it was a great time. Mitch is a funny guy, and yeah. Before we get on to Mitch, though, we just wanted to talk about our last weekend here with uh, Tough Valley Rides. They went off with uh, great success. I think everyone had a great time, and uh, Randy, how'd it go? Yeah, it was good. I mean, a bit tuckered out. I think I was in bed at like nine thirty yesterday.
1: But um, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's been a while since I've done two two big days back to back on a bike.
0: Yeah, uh, same here. Same here. I was feeling it as well, and I think you know that uh, yesterday's loop was uh, pretty technical and pretty tricky at moments here. You're, you're springing around there like a mountain goat, but I know I was, uh, struggling, struggling all over the shop. So yeah, it was a really good weekend and we want to keep growing them. And so, you know, if you have any inquiries, any interest, hit us up on the the website, toughcamps.com, or you can direct message Ryan or myself, or even back on the bus podcast. We'll, uh, we'll get back to you ASAP with, uh, Whatever information you need. Okay, bud, let's uh, jump into this one with Mitch, podcasting guru, and uh, look, he's a he's a guy I've raced with on uh, the same team for quite a few years, and Mitch was always one of those guys. I was so excited when he would be on the same program, and yeah, I was I'm really fortunate to have gotten spend some years with him, and he runs a great uh, podcast, Life in the Peloton, and. He's got this uh, fantastic ability to kind of give character and life to some of these professional riders that we've seen over the years that don't, you know, most interviews, we don't really get their their true colors, you know, because they represent a team, they represent a group of people that, uh, you know, there's, there's not a lot of opinions that you can throw down. And so Mitch runs this great podcast and he, he's really able to kind of bring out the the humanity of these riders that are sometimes robotic in these times so Mitch is joining us from Girona Spain where he lives with his family and uh, he spent quite a few years there and he's now in his last year with uh, EF education so uh, Mitch thank you man for joining us and what have you been up to bud?
2: thanks for having me thank you for the big introduction there Um, and you were very kind kind words about the podcast to be honest Yeah, and I was just having conversations with guys, and actually all I was trying to do was just pick their brains and find out stuff for myself, really. Um, And then every so often ask a question that I already knew the answer to that I thought that people would want to know. But most of the time in the podcast I was just trying to think of like, yeah, Marcel Kittel, like how does he win races? Maybe I can get a little tidbit of information here. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) I'm wondering whether like – yeah, you know, whoever it might be, um, you know, Luke Derbridge, does he feel this pressure as well, like that I feel like in the in the bunch, you know, like what about that? And it was just fun relating with the guys and then what I noticed with the podcast is once you sort of go halfway with the guests, they sort of realise, oh yeah, this is this is fine then to talk about it. And then it just sort of opens up this doorway of of just a it's, bit of common ground.
0: Yeah. It's funny how that is, like the, the initial bits are always kind of like you're you're building up to this opening of, of people's minds, you know, like, cause at first they're, they're not, they are maybe a little guarded and in, in their kind of typical, you know, stance of, of doing an interview. And then before you know it, you're starting to pull out all these stories and get that real version of themselves. And I think that's what people have loved about your podcast. Like, I think that's why the following has been so great because I think of some of these podcasts I've listened to and it's just, like they're doing a, an interview with a journalist, and it's just the same boring crap. And I find that you have this ability to pull out these these tidbits that uh, it's what people want to hear—the stories, how you got into this stuff, and 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 the 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 crazy stuff you had to do along the way because it's such a it's such a crazy sport to make it in, you know. First of all, and then to actually get to that level where you're doing it for a job—it's it's such a crazy journey for most. So, what I what I love is that everyone has a different way to it and all of them are fascinating in my mind like there's no easy way there if you know what i mean Mm.
2: it's true like what you said and it's i think it's a real transition um and i think everyone can agree with this and everyone's transition happens at different periods of their career but um when you first start riding we all just love doing it you know whether it was a bmx whether it was racing on the track whatever it was you just had this passion for riding and then it sort of comes into racing and you get a bit of money for it or prize money and maybe even getting paid a little bit there and it's still a passion but all of a sudden when it becomes professional it really does at some point even the first couple of years of being professional maybe it's still a passion. But there comes that point where it does become a job. There's stuff that you hate doing and you still do it, but you also love it. It's a job you really love to do. And I think I had to remind myself of that a lot of the time. I was like, actually, how many people in the world can say they actually love their job? It was no longer a passion per se for me because I had passions for other things, like maybe just riding my bike, racing my bike in the world tour probably wasn't my passion. It was a job that I love to do. That was the sort of difference there. Riding my bike in the mountains in Andorra, or touring off road—that's my passion. And once you sort of found that, it was—it's that small that transition. And then I guess when you it becomes a job for you that you don't love anymore, I think that's sort of that time where you you get to the
0: end of your career. Yeah, that makes sense. So, bud, you're, uh, you've announced that you're retiring this year, and uh, I. W- I feel like it's been a very different year for you in so many ways, but could you explain some of the things that you're preparing for and then how this year has shaped up for you?
2: Look, weirdly, and maybe I've just transitioned this into suiting me from the scenario I've been dealt, but weirdly, it's been a great scenario. And let me explain that a little bit. Our team, EF Education First, pulled back a lot of their races this year. And the real reason, I'm still not exactly sure, it's been a couple of things have been said to me it's because of the safety of COVID they've just stuck to the world tour races it could be a little bit to do with budget trying to send the guys to races and we have a pretty strict COVID protocol where we all stay in a separate room in the hotel so that means extra cost so for me it, it screams out that it's just costing too much to go to every race the long story short is, unless you're on that A program, you know, whatever we got 28, 30 guys, you know, there's sort of only eight guys getting raced at a time. So a lot of us are sitting on the sidelines. And initially I was sort of like, oh, I don't know, because you've just got this bred into you. You need a race every week or every other week and feel tired and recover and then race. And then, you know, over the years it's sort of drifted out of the way we've, we've been um, racing in the World Tour. You sort of train a bit more. And this year has been. A hell of a lot more extreme I've done sort of five races and we're halfway through the year but actually during that period I sort of started to see the positive of it I was like wow this is this is actually halfway there to what life will be like as not a pro next year I'm sort of getting to have a transition year while I'm still racing Um, I'm not sort of racing 80 days 70 80 days till the end of this year and then sort of being left in November going well, oh, what am I doing now? Um, all right, I'm I am gonna stop riding, but yeah, right. Whew, I better unpack that suitcase. My suitcase has been unpacked, you know. I can't <laughs> leave that it's packed for eight weeks at a time.
0: So that's that's a big gift. Wow. Yeah, it's it's been a
2: it's been a nice and it's been up to me to sort of turn it around because you could send sad clown it as well and just be like, Oh, and you know, poor me, I'm not doing all these races, but it's sort of been nice to go, actually, mate, it's a bit of a gift. You've been given a couple of beautiful little races to do, just to sort of test the waters again to go, are you sure you made that right decision? And then those races just go, Yeah, you've made that decision, mate. That's the
0: right decision. But um
2: <laughs> it's it has been it has been a, a nice little gift in a way.
0: Yeah, well, I'm I'm looking at some of the rides you've been doing and have to say i'm a little envious because i remember there was a there was a time when you know close to the times when i was retiring that uh, i was doing a lot of bike packing and i was you know i was trying to tell you guys how this is one of the best ways to train i think everyone was a little bit um maybe not as convinced as i was you know and I, I'm curious to hear your experiences now that you've done a couple of these big trips with some of those boys like Durbo and, and Lockie Morton. You've been, you've been doing some pretty awesome routes. And I'm, I'm curious to hear how that's been for you and just kind of the adaptation that's come from that as well.
2: Yeah, I've, I sort of do feel like that guy and everyone. I'm sure everyone has that in their life you know, someone's trying to tell you something and then it's like five years later or two years later or the next month that it actually happens to you and you're like, oh, I get it now. Why didn't I just (laughs) listen to that guy? Um, But you have to go there yourself. And like, I'm not saying that I wasn't up for the, the trips that we did and we even did a few trips together, but I always had to justify it in my mind because it wasn't exactly the protocol of normal training. It was still bloody hard, but I was like, well, it's not on a road bike and it's not up and down a mountain doing 10 by, you know, three by tens or whatever. But then all of a sudden, like this year without the racing, I sort of created my own events to allow myself to have something to focus on and then also allow myself to be, feel that fatigue at the end of it. And I was like, well, maybe I'll do a couple of little, you know, three days, try and do some stuff that I'm a bit scared of, you know, tick off some huge days, some case. Can I even make it this sort of fear factor? Um, which is essentially what I was doing with you. But what I found was I came out of that last – I did a road one first because I was like, let's not test all the elements. Let's just be on a road bike. Let's just do crazy distance on a road bike. Let's just start with that. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's good. And that was awesome. It was we, – we, we fluked the weather. We f- we had the, the weather gods on our side, which we said the whole time, tailwind and sun. It was just like beautiful. And, um Nice. Didn't necessarily have the, re- the restaurant gods on our side at times, but, you know, whatever. We <laughs> yeah. worked on it. Um, but I came back and it had a lot to do because my coach got pretty pissed off because I was just claiming all my form from this three-day trip. I'm like, oh, that's all I needed. And he was just <laughs> yeah. like, well... Don't forget about all the work we did like, the, like three months before that. But, yeah, whatever. whatever, <laughs> no, whatever.
0: Coaches, coaches wouldn't like it if everyone no. just pissed off and did bikepacking toys. <laughs> yeah.
2: but I think no, what good think business. <laughs> it was the icing on the cake. It was like I went into the bikepacking because I'd done all the like the bullshit hard, you know, 20-second sprints and two-minute efforts, whatever it is. You know, I'd done all the, the, the little work. And then I went and just rode freely when I was fit. And free of mind, not knowing that I was feeling behind or whatever, so I could clear that conscious. As we are, as professional sportsmen, like oh, I should be doing this or whatever. I think most people, maybe not so everyone, but I was free of mind, and I could just ride. And also, I had the fitness to handle the load really well. And I came out, and it just turned my eyes around to go, oh, this is just a ticket to print money. This, you know, this is you can just go and have fun and challenge yourself and just get really fit from it and i,
0: I think that's really yeah. important what you said there is yeah it's one thing to say oh yeah it's you get this great form from bike packing and that's something i was always spouting off but like you you know like we still had that job and you still wanted to be effective at that job and so I remember it was the same. I had to do all of those other hard yards first before I could really satis- sat- like, be satisfied with that trip that that was okay to do, you know? And I think that's an important point for a lot of people who th- who maybe are going to dabble in that is to really kind of make sure the rest of your training is, is up to par so that, you know, as, as we've all discussed, like world tour racing is so hard now that you cannot show up missing a couple percent or you're, you're dropped on the first climb of the day. It's that bloody hard.
2: Exactly right. And, you know, I think aside from that, for me, it was more the mental side. You know, the physical side is very important, as you say, but that allowed me to psychologically just relax and enjoy the trip too. There's nothing worse than being on there. And to a degree, I was a bit like that the last trip that we did before I was potentially going to Giro last year.
0: Oh, and yeah. we're trying to yeah. squeeze
2: it in because it was really important timing for us, at last chance to catch up. And I was like, "Well, if we can do it, I can squeeze these out." And I was trying to make it work on that side. And yes, it was still it was an awesome trip. And we just I wasn't in the Giro, so ultimately I could let that baggage go. But I think I was trying to include it in, and, and I just that's the wrong dynamic. You just need to let the, those sort of bikepacking trips be what they'll be because you're going to run into elements, you're going to run into stuff that you didn't expect. And if oh, you, you're trying to you do a remember a bunch
0: of stuff, that, yeah, that yeah. terrain was gonna teach you a lesson no matter what, no matter how yeah, many it, intervals you thinking of it from
1: like my perspective is like with Swain, it, you had you had the confidence that like this was just this is how I'm gonna do it. Like I can't continue racing without getting out there and bikepacking. Versus like yeah. me, it was foreign to me. I was like just terrified that it wouldn't work. Like you know what I mean. cycling gets like, like, so stuck in its traditions. Totally. So uh, a big part of it was just that. The confidence, the willing to try it, I guess. And I never had that. That, uh, but shit. Once you get out there, it's that freshens the mind up like nothing else.
2: Yeah, exactly. yeah, exactly. And that's that's the point that I'm at too. It's is that I've been able to discover that in only sort of the last two years of my career. Um, but I think it is important, like you say, Swaino, You still got to set yourself up mm. physically and psychologically to enjoy the fruits of your labor in terms of if you can call it the bike tra- packing that because they are pretty, pretty epic too.
0: Totally. Yeah. And, and throw in some hike, a bike and these other things that are pretty different from your day-to-day training and you can come home pretty hammered. It's definitely something to be respected. And I don't say like it's for everyone to just chuck in at important times of the season. And like you said, Randy um, you know, most teams, It's pretty hard to go and pull something like that off. You know, I think of yourself on direct energy. You know, I I don't know how they were with looking at your training peaks and this and that. But if they saw you were off in the Pyrenees for a four or five day trek with a bunch of GPS points as your whereabouts, they they might not look upon that too nicely if you got dropped at the next race, you know? (sighs)
1: yeah i I think it was like it 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 had to have worked because like when like if i came back to canada for a little block or whatever if i didn't come back like just flying it was like well Canada's the problem right so if i yeah yeah. not so much that they tracked everything that i was doing closely but if i went to a race and i was shit that would have been the end of it you know i mean like and i wasn't confident enough that this this is gonna work
2: (laughs) it's yeah it's easy to say that because you know now i've sort of got that confidence i guess because i'm like you know what I don't have to fight for that contract next year. And I'm starting to think now, what is it? Is it the confidence of actually not stressing about something that's given me the ability just to race at the level that I always race? Or is it actually these bikepacking trips that are giving me that extra fitness? You know what I mean? I think it's a combination of both of that and something that I know I'm definitely not the only one, but I'm sure there's a few others out there. That that stress of trying to perform for that next contract, for that next race, it adds an element of negative pressure on you.
0: Oh, and, we, we become slaves yeah. to that. No matter how like nonchalant you want to be about that and how much you're like, oh, I'll be okay, I'll figure something out, You, at the end of the day, you're still a slave to that contract. And I think the best, I will say like for for a lot of my final years, the best thing that I dealt with was just letting go of that not really caring whether I had a contract the next year. And all that it did was allow me to go longer than I ever planned because Ooh. there was a freedom in that, right? And I think that's just going along with that feeling that you have right now. And I think it's quite a freeing feeling, you know?
2: It is. And I'm, I'm, I'm so happy that I, even though I sort of knew pretty early on this year it was going to be my last year, I'm happy that I sort of announced it to the world. If nothing but just that I knew that it was – done that i could certainly switch that that switch off and my family knew and we could just buy into what we were doing you know um and that sort of eased the pressure a bit
0: yeah i'm curious and, and you don't have to go into much detail but i'm just curious what was that point that deciding factor for you to to make that call and especially to like at, at that point of the season right like i think a lot of guys have a tendency to wait and wait and see how the season shapes up and maybe hope that there's something else you know but uh i feel like you 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 felt something and you just made the call and i think it's important because it it's going to help you again making this massive transition that it's something ryan and i talk quite a bit about because we're we're trying to deal with it and, and we'll talk about that later in the podcast but yeah curious to know what that kind of point was for you
2: It's probably when i didn't get selected for you know, yeah. didn't get the call up <laughs> no. that's a race
0: you, you've done pretty much every year right of your, of your career
2: it is uh no it wasn't um <laughs> look, it was it was a maybe no. maybe maybe different to some other guys that i'm thinking about this myself is that i think some guys have the penny drop moment the real like at you know, at that hill I got dropped and that's it. I'm done. I'm over it. And then they finish the race and they they know at that moment there they are done for their, the rest of their career. But I was saying this to someone the other day who sort of played with the idea, oh, I think I'm done too, you know, um, which I'd said probably, I, probably more than 10 times, but I say 10 times throughout my yeah. career. Yeah.
0: Um,
2: and there's moments where you really do think you are done. You know, I can specifically remember of two or three, um, back in sort of five, six years ago in the classics had a really bad classics period. And I, I literally called home and said, no, that's it. I'm actually, I'm not good enough to even finish these races. I am, I'm actually done. There's no way that anyone's going to sign me. And at that moment, it's so low, you really do think it's over. And my advice to this guy was, look, man, you're going to have 10 of those moments before you actually do get to the final, I'm done. Um, totally,
0: yeah. totally.
2: And that's sort of how my, retirement sort of built up and it definitely came to my mind at the end of last year was probably, you know, the ninth time at the end of the COVID coming to, you know, Vuelta and like, am, I, am I really going to go on with this? i I'm, like, I'm done, you know, and I was like, no, I don't want to finish like this. Am I done? I just sort of thought. Maybe this is the COVID talking. Maybe this is this crappy year talking. Let's just go to next year and let's just see. Let's just try and get the love of cycling back, the racing. And, and the Peloton really had gone to a new level in that summer season, I'd almost call it, um, where I was fit as all hell and pretty much put everything on the road and just felt like a number in the Peloton still. That sort of led to this year where the pace just continued on at that, at that speed. And I was, again, still giving everything. I just thought, you know what? In order for me to continue at this level or even to try and get back in the game, I need to sacrifice even more than what I'm doing now. And I just thought, I'm not really willing to do that anymore. Um, I love riding. I still really love riding as you were just talking about, but the sacrifice to be in the races anymore, I just don't really want to do that anymore. The love for it, the love to do the sacrifices may be gone. And it's just become a bit of a stress to do it, you know, to lock yourself down, to do the finer details, to go Damn. to altitude, whatever it is. And that's nothing against the guys who do that because I understand they're in that love for it. And that's what that gives yeah. them up. Whereas for me, it was and, like, and I it's know the what I way it
0: works, right? It's yeah, exactly. it really is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and so that, yeah, I was just going to say, like, I, I were curious about that, what you said earlier with that level because the recurring message I'm hearing and and I was noticing it towards the end in in 2019 when I was still racing and it felt like that level was just going up and up and then from you know the accounts of you and Durbo you know guys that I still keep in touch with about racing you know even a guy like Woodsy's talking about it you know like a, a super freak and you're what's going on how like because from from all accounts from you, it's like your, your numbers and everything have been making this progression, right? Yet, here you are, like, you know, you're not, like, progressing within the race. The level of everyone else has just gotten up another couple notches. So I'd be curious to hear what your take is on, on, like, what's going on within the peloton that this kind of performance is happening.
2: I guess... That's exactly right what you say. That's literally what's happened. You know, I, I really did train harder than I ever did before, and I'm sure everyone else out there did because we have been locked down. We were like a cage line, and we all hit the yeah. ground running. Um, and my theory was hit the first few races like they're the last races ever because we never know what how many races we're going to get. So I went yeah. into Strata Strada Bianchi running hot, like I mean red hot. <laughs> and just try to hang on to the four. But that didn't mean anything. That was just like I was still in it. Like I wasn't by any means getting piped out the back, but I was nowhere near the front either. I was, you know, just another guy in the bunch. But in order to be another guy, like I said, I had to be red hot iron to be there, like form. And I was like, "Wow, what's going on here? That's okay. It's the first race, long time since I raced. You know, you sort of palm it off, but that was just a common occurrence. Um and, um, you know, the same thing happened again this year. I sort of went to a smaller race called Kudvar, And just to – I had to do a numbers check. I was like, oh, this this just must be wrong. I just had a look at like this last stage, which was very You're similar to last. calibrating your,
0: your power meter yeah. kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> D- D- a little hard it's, race.
2: It's, <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a telltale because it's, they're different races and everything, but you've got to get some kind of justification, you know. You're looking for something. And – we sort of matched this up to the last day of Nice, which is typically was the second last, well, the last day of Nice, which is raced around Nice, all these little hills, a really tough day. And I was like, oh, I can't be as hard as that. And just absolutely shat on that day. And I'm like, <laughs> how is that possible? <laughs> like this is just like Nice is known as like the godfather of hard races. And that stage is sort of like the heart, it's little, nook above that, you know. And then this race, var that I'm sure a lot of people don't even know, just went and just went, yeah, whatever. Let's just go. And I, I got dropped 4K into the race. So I rode the whole <laughs> <laughs> 10K stage on my own.
0: <laughs> I was just like,
2: out. well, I'm out here for training. And I was this is just insane. So I think what's happened is this level's come in and with the likes of, you know, Vanderpool, Der um, Walt Van Aert and, you know, Pidcock, These guys have come and risen the bar and the younger talent coming in have gone, that's just the level I'm at now. The rest of the pros pros in the bunch have just gone, that's what we need to do. So everyone's just, I get the feeling that everyone's just gone, we need a lift and everyone's committing more. Everyone's tightening those screws. The longevity of that is I just think careers are going to be shorter. Um, We've already seen that over the years is that when we think back to the old days, where time you know where guys had longer careers there's more often guys having ten fifteen even 20 year careers, you know now guys who are having 15 year careers are pretty crazy, ten years is going to be soon crazy because I don't know, I just don't think it's sustainable this level, and it but whatever it's just slightly different to what it used to be, and the racing before us was different to what I raced in as well
0: what what yeah i I, I think you're right I, I think also it's like with the internet came so much knowledge and information on how to lift all the information was shared right and you have this crazy group of motivated young people that are willing to do all of those things and live live like monks all the time and like you said i don't know how sustainable that is but what what blows me away is just just thinking back to what you're saying is like your numbers are progressing but you you can barely hang in the bunch. And I, ne- I remember that was how it was for myself. I, I was having these really good training periods and then you'd show up at whatever race, if it was a world tour race and you're just shaking your head. Like you, you don't even think you're in the same, you shouldn't even be categorized as a professional, you know, cause you just don't even feel like you're, you can partake in that stuff. You know, it's, it's really, really wild. And I, I guess my concern is just for like these younger guys that are trying to live up to that, the abilities of like some of the super freaks, is it sustainable? And is it like for a lot of them, I think it can lead to burnout because it, it takes so much focus and physical energy to do what those those guys at the very highest level are doing. Totally. So, Bud, you, you've had this like, this career when you came over in 2009 with Skill Shimano up until 2021. And, You've had to make this evolution as a, as a rider that, you know, when we first trying to make, we're just trying to survive, you know, those first years, and then you're finding your legs and you're, you're winning some races and you're, you're trying to like figure out who you are as a rider. And then you, you know, you came over to green edge and things change again and then you're evolving. You're still trying to find your legs again. Like it's like you're almost resetting again and trying to figure out your way in the bunch and for the team and all this stuff and then and then you make a another change to tf education and and i wanted you to talk about just these evolutions and these things that we have to change as riders as we go through a a long career like you've had and i I guess i'd like to hear like your take on that whole that whole path you know because it's it's something for young people to listen to to understand that it's not just, you know, everyone wants to be race winners and, and, uh, be at the, the top of the game. But like uh, for a lot of us, we have to find a different way through this sport. Right. And and it can be a great path for, you know, when you find your niche and you actually pull off the things that you're really strong at. And, uh, you know, I love, I love the final role you've had as, as a rider. It's something that, uh, I've always thought that's that's your best ability you know you are a people person and people look up to you and listen to you so maybe explain that journey for us i know it's a bit of a long question but i i'd love to hear about it
2: yeah mate it's i'm just straight off the top of my head i think something that gets confused nowadays i'm not that in touch with it but just recently i've noticed a few guys oh, i hear this conversation of oh i'm a really good domestic you know in the in the domestic scene and i'm hoping to get seen i'm like Thinking to myself, every guy in the world tour is a winner in their own scene um, and you forget that too. You even forget that you were dominant in your own scene once upon a time Yeah. because, you know, every every guy in the world tour is a gun. And you forget that. Even the shittest guy there, they're just like awesome cyclists, <laughs> yeah. you <know>? yeah. <laughs> And you've got to pat yourself on the back. So you're like, oh, I'm actually pretty good back in my day, you know, like because you were.
0: Totally. And then you. Ca-
2: Then you come to the world tour or you come into the pro season as I was. I was only pro continental, but, you know, you get your doors blown off. And I think that is also a necessary part of becoming pro. That's sort of like, do you want this or do you not? Because, you know, unless you're really talented, you know, like the Sargans, the Peacocks of the world, those guys just keep going on and being awesome. Um, The rest of us have to then find out how to survive in this world. Um, You know, single swim pretty much. Because, you know, and we do see a lot of guys and there's something against them as well. You know, I just come across and I was very close to that as well in my first year. Just got my head kicked in. Didn't love living over here on my own. Didn't love coming home from races and just feeling like at the bottom of the, the you know, bottom of the world and then having to go to another race and get your head kicked in again. And you're trying as hard as you can. You're going as hard as you can. You're doing everything more than you ever did and you still suck. And you're just like, this sucks. I hate this. <laughs> um, <laughs> But there comes that point, um, and I was very lucky that I ran into a mentor of mine in those days, and a close friend of mine. He just pulled me aside and just sort of allowed me to understand what was missing from my process. It wasn't the training, it wasn't you know training harder or whatever that was back in those days. It was just a simple mindset and. Setting goals and and setting a new achievement um, because I I'd, I'd worked so hard to become pro and I'd set so much however many years it was since I started cycling this goal formed to become one of those guys I saw in the magazines saw on the TV I was like oh I want to be one of them and without even thinking about it that was my goal and everything I did subconsciously was to do that and once I became pro I never had a new goal I just sort of got you know what's that word um just like thrown in the sack and just taken for a ride behind a horse just you know <laughs> just like no, in this in
0: the gunny sack behind a horse yeah that's, that's <laughs> yeah. That <way. laughs>
2: pinballed, you know just pinball along it's just like yeah this is sweet pinball along yeah. this, you know this ride I mean,
0: you're kind of just psyched to have made it right like i think yeah. for a lot of us that's that initial feeling you're like wow like i'm i'm just here and you you don't even know what like you said, like this, what are you doing next? But you don't know. You're just along you for the ride. And but you sh- and you can't, unless you speak to someone who
2: has an idea to give you an idea of, to set some mini goals, you you don't know how to set goals. You're not going to say win a race. You're so far from winning a race. But I, I said, met this guy, Andrew, his name is, Whale nickname. And he said to me, what's something you just don't think you can do? And the thing furthest from my mind was win a race. Coming back the second year, I said to him, look, I'm just going to see my contract out with School Shimano and I'm going to flick this. I'm done with this. He goes, hang on, mate. Whoa. You've done the hardest part. You're there. Now all you've got to do is just stay there. And I was like, oh, okay. I'll just set some goals to shut this guy up, you know, get him off <laughs> my back. <laughs> Old goal setting. That's for high school, I thought, you know. and
0: It sounds so like, lame sometimes, but... Yeah.
2: It was I tell you this let me tell you say this little story because it's it's so weird what happened. He's like, What's you know, the furthest thing you think? I was like, Well, I don't know, win a race, you know, like I'm just throwing that out there. He's like, Oh well, no, that's how <laughs> about five races? I'm like, Steady on. I'm like let's meet halfway three. Let's, let's hey, th- try has
0: it. this guy ridden in a, a European race ever? <laughs> or?
2: I wrote down three races and I wrote down a bunch of other things, but the three races is the thing that sticks out because I went back that next year and I, I bloody won two races. I could not believe yeah. it. And I'd completely forgotten about the goal setting process at that point. I wrote it in my diary and I was flipping through my diary later on in the year and I just saw three race wins there and I was like, Oh my God it actually happened.
0: Yeah. Like yeah. I
2: just could not believe it. I was just like, and I really did believe in the subconscious that, okay, I didn't achieve the goal, but on the way to achieving that goal, I knew I needed to do something to get to three. So, you know, one was on the way to, and whatever else came with that in the race, the, the mentality or seizing the opportunity when you had it rather than just rolling in. And the, let's, let's talk about that sprint that we've spoken about. Swano in um, dealt a, uh, uh
0: Delta Tour. Yeah.
2: yeah. Like, like, why did I put myself in that position on Tyler Farrar and Graham Brown, 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 Brown's wheel to try and even come around the two best sprinters in the world at that point? You know, I, I could have been content with just trying to roll in in that bunch and being happy with the top 10 finish, you know, if it was the year before. Yeah. But all of a sudden this subconscious, I guess, was in me going, better win this one, mate. You need to chalk one up, you know. so Yeah, yeah. It's, it's so funny that, you yeah, know, now we talk about that sort of phase which opened my eyes up to going I can be a guy in this world I'd gone from the first year going this world is not for me to suddenly I can actually do this you know going to Orica was again that sort of awakening because I went from skill shimano was like just do anything in a race and we'll be happy to suddenly Orica was like we're going to win Milan San Remo tomorrow and this is how we're going to win it and you're going to do that and I was like, but what about the early break? And they're like, who said that? And I was like, oh, I do <laughs> <laughs> And I was Pretty like cool, – Breakaway yeah, was, Maestro, of course I said that,
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> and I was like – so there's just this like whole new mentality of, okay, we're just here to win races. This is so like scary, you know, and it was like pressure now to perform in a different way. And that was, again, I always remember Neil Stevens coming up to me, calling me in July – and going, hey, Mitch, um, so, mate, yeah, you ready for the Vuelta? I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going. I'm selected. He goes, yeah, yeah, and you're going to be leading Al- Alan Davis out, mate. I was like, me? Albie?
0: <laughs> Last <laughs> night,
2: I'm thinking, what the hell does he want to follow me for in the sprints? Like, he, can, <laughs> he can win, like, full races, and I just I started shitting myself. But <laughs> I just realized at that moment there, I was like, you know, the single swim, I've got to keep adapting. I've got to keep moving forward. When these opportunities arise, you're like, okay, I need to work it out. I've got to be a lead out man. And I started speaking to guys, Julian Dean, and following his will and trying to learn and, um, you know, to move forward again. When that role slowly, I feel like I moved into Brett Lancaster's position. He was the, the, the big guy doing the last man stuff in the team. I became that guy. And then all of a sudden, Alex Edmondson became – me to Lancaster, he took my spot. And I was like, oh shit, it's happening. I'm I'm not good enough anymore. But I was like, well, I'm not done. What else does this team need? I need to evolve into that. I'm, I can still do the lead outs, but they've found someone younger and better. That could be my career if you sort of just give up, but you need to evolve. You need to find out what else the team needs and what else you can actually physically do. Um, and that point there was sort of try and be a bit more of a leader in the team or try and get over a climb more than um, you know. work with Michael Matthews to get over some climbs with him, which eventually led to me moving to um, EF where at the end of Orico, I think I wasn't ready to step into the position where they wanted me to go. I didn't really understand that they sort of potentially thought I could be a good leader there, maybe like Matt Heyman. And it wasn't until I went to EF that I realized, oh, yeah, that's that's what I can be. I uh, That's what I want to be. Just the new environment, the fresh sort of people around made me realize the experience that I had. I think being in a team for six years, I still and they still saw me as a young guy. And it wasn't until I went to a new team that I was like, well, hang on. I have been pro for 10 years. I do know a thing or two. And I sort of grabbed that position and went with that and it actually really fired up my career again for that last for for the last four years of my career now i've been so inspired to try and be a better leader which has made me be a better cyclist in turn as well yeah
0: yeah i think that's a big point in there where making that shift of environment can sometimes be the healthiest thing right because on a team like green edge you were just being maybe pigeonholed as only capable of this and at a certain point if enough people say ah if they make an opinion about you it's kind of it's kind of done and i find that really weird about cycling teams i don't know if it's tradition or just the way the administration has to work because they're just flying by the seat of their pants um you know from contracts and sponsorship from year to year they're just looking for the next best thing all the time i feel like they miss out a, a lot on decisions like that where they throw guys to the wayside and it's something I spoke with uh, Christian Meyer who we, we all know. You know, it's it's they make this kind of opinion and no one is really communicating what's going on with that rider. And it's just kind of like they make the 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 decision and it, they just write you off and after they've dumped all this resource into you and now here you are, you're like you're like a piece of gold to this other team. They they're looking at you like, "Geez, this guy knows like they didn't have that that kind of older guy that has you know wants to take on that leadership role in that sense, right? So they're looking at you like, wow, this guy's amazing, right? And so yeah, that 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 change of environment for you was was massive and and kind of ignited, yeah, ignited your career again, right?
2: It's well, yeah, exactly it, it's like the old scenario, and I remember it when I left high school and I went to university. No one knew me, and I had this chance to reinvent yourself. You know, you could leave all yeah. that old stigma behind that, oh, yeah, you remember that happened back in the dunnies, you know, when you're in year seven, you're like, oh, shit, you know. Yeah. That <laughs> was gone. You could just be like, no one knows that story. Thank God. What happened? And you could just start fresh. And that was sort of like EF. It was like in order to become this person that I became in EF, I would have almost you came come in one day to the next at Orica and try and be this new person per se. Mate. And they're like, oh mate, who the hell are you trying to be? <laughs> yeah. Come on, mate. Jesus. You know? <laughs> yeah, they want to you- keep
0: you down. Hey man. Yeah, like uh,
1: <laughs> no idea, though. <huh?
2: laughs> <laughs> not, yeah, not this leadership stuff, you you know. It'd be like, or whatever it might be, you know, yeah. you you're trying to be a better climber or you're trying to be a better just be a better yeah. person. They're be like, mate, you're not that good a person. Just be the like you <laughs> normally are. Like, hey, give me a chance. Hey, no um, one grows
0: here, okay? We, we yeah. keep you
2: down. <laughs> Whatever team it is, you know, like reckon, any team, any environment, I think that's the case. And I always say that to a lot of people that, you know, change can be very good and you do become – it is nice to be in the same spot, but you can become complacent and stale. And yeah especially even with a coach or with a someone told me you should change your accountant every couple of years because you get a new accountant and they try and impress you and It's the same thing with the coach. You have a new coach and you're like, suddenly you're like, well, my ride doesn't finish at five fifty nine; It finishes at six hours and you're doing that lap around the block. I'm not going to yeah. say that makes a difference in the whole scheme of things, but it's that mentality that makes you want to work that little bit harder to impress this new guy. You're not complacent with him.
1: And the and changing the, same, the protein same energy
0: yeah. that got you those wins early on, right? It's yeah. just that mindset, that shift in mindset, right? Like you That's said. Pretty good way to look at it.
1: Never thought about that. Yeah, The accountant thing or? No, but the, the, <laughs> <laughs> the accountant thing I think is useful. The You're Dwayne, talking about yeah. the, gray, the gray areas, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, I like that analogy of the coach, changing up the coach.
2: Yeah, and there's nothing, and you, it's, it's happened to me too in my career, there was nothing wrong with my coach. Yeah. Um, and it sort of created this weird tension for a while because you just took it personally. And I was like, I just really want to go in a new direction and we just need to cut it clean and go, you know, and start with someone fresh and you go. And it really, again, lit the fire and I just felt really excited by it again. And all it was was just a new coach saying the same things but in a different voice, you know.
0: Yeah, Yeah. 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 Well, I want to shift gears a little bit mitch and talk about something near and dear to my heart parenthood while you're uh, doing a professional sport like this you got two kids and i i just recently had our we had our second one and i'm just amazed thinking you know like one is it's a it's enough you know like it's a it's a (laughs) lot of uh it's a lot of work (laughs) and you throw two into the picture and i'm just trying to think like Okay, I was I was training and racing, and when we had our we had our boy gunner, and you know I kind of thought, oh, it's not so bad, right? You know I can this this is this parenthood stuff's not so not so crazy. And now we've had our second one, and I have nothing like I have a lot of free time now, and I'm still like we're going to bed exhausted, you know, because we're trying to spend all our time with our kids and just give them that attention that kids need. And I'm just curious to hear um, some of the things that you've learned. And maybe some things that you can pass along to other riders who might be going down that path as well. Because I think it's, man, it's a hell of a thing to juggle and to, to, to actually recover. I think recovery has got to be the biggest one.
2: Yeah. Um, I think the first thing is it's really humbling um, because the sport yeah. of cycling – um, let's just say professional sport, in order to be a pro in any sport, you just have to be a selfish bastard. And that's just the reality of it. And yeah. you just got to think about yourself and make sure, you know, and you, your wife sometimes or your girlfriend along the way, I'm sure she gets the raw, the raw end of the stick, but they're probably the only one you really sort of care about in your way to get there. The, everyone else is like, well, you're with me or burn that bridge. You know, that's the mentality. So, when your kids come into it, all of a sudden with your wife, you're number one and then all of a sudden you're number two. And you're like, oh, what the hell? <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, and you ex- like, well, anyway, I I happily accepted that. Yeah. And it was just, it was a lovely feeling that suddenly I wasn't, it was nice, you know, like to challenge myself with that, that fact because it was someone you were never going to compete with your own son, you know, like. And when two come in, you're already at that point And it's just like, well, I'm definitely humbled now. You know, it's like, if I got time to go training, let alone anything else? So my advice, something that I was able to work out sort of last year and the year before was I realized that trying to combine, well, anyway, for me, trying to combine both family life and training was very difficult um, in terms of I was cheating both. So I wasn't able to train fully committed and I wasn't able, if I was trying to do a big block, I wasn't giving everything to that block and I also wasn't giving everything to the family. Both were sort of getting copped out. I wasn't recovering because I was back with the family, but I was sort of big crap with the family because I was tired from the training and the next day the training was worse because I was tired, blah, blah, blah. So what I found what was really great was in these last few years is what I would do is I would do these mini trips away and I would do five days away training and then come home for the weekend because the, the kids were going to school. So the kids were busy with mum all week anyway and I was busy training but I was away, I was removed from the situation. And when I was home, I had two easy days or two recovery days and I was 100% there just with the kids. I didn't even have to think about training, I didn't feel guilty. I was happy to do whatever I wanted with the family and then five days a week, I would just feel, feel like on Monday, I'd sort of feel guilty because I probably had five, five or six beers over the weekend. I ate, you know, cake with the kids. And I'd be like, God, oh, I need to lock it down this week. So the training would go awesome because I was really motivated. And by the time I got to Friday, I'd be like, bugger this training. I hate training. And I'd look forward to the weekend again. And it was for those whatever periods it was, three, four weeks, I'd try and get these really productive periods done. And even though it might sound strange, that I'd go away from the family for five days. Those two quality days were much better than seven half-ass days. And that was a really great thing that sort of worked the last few years of my career.
0: Man, that that uh, that makes a lot of sense, actually. I, and I was thinking back, you know, the, the last years when we were still doing a lot of, you know, hanging out as much as we could. And I remember thinking, oh, geez, Mitch is going away. That's kind of crazy, you know, like. I know how hard it is and I know you got to get that training, but now having experienced exactly what you're saying, it makes so much sense. And I guess that kind of answers like my next question was like, what would you tell yourself, you know, four years earlier? What would like, if you could go speak to yourself, like how to, to change that approach, just knowing what you know now. And I think that kind of gives a good answer.
2: Yeah. I, (sighs) I think things have definitely got much tougher the last two years with two kids and no family being out of visit. That's been a massive element. And also, I think probably pushed my retirement a year closer than I would have normally. Um, I'm just sort of like, if the family could have come the last couple of years and seen the kids growing up, I wouldn't feel this massive urge to be quickly trying to get them home around the family. That's been a big pull as well. My parents are getting older. My wife's parents are getting older. And ultimately, I'm, I want to be back around that family environment. It's hard being away from Australia and especially over the last two years. So that helping hand and that family helping hand is a big part of it. And I guess when I think about people and we talk about having two kids a guy like Jens Voigt is just laughing at us. I don't know. Was he got like sixteen kids or something? He's just—he's <laughs> ridiculous, you know. But on his to his defence, you know, he's or to our defence, sorry, he's at home with his in his country, and that's a big part of it. Um, living away from your own country, and I'm sure you've just experienced that now. Finally being back in Canada, whether you're near your family or not, it's being in your own culture, just having that helping hand from. People that you know or like-minded people, people you've grown up with, whether you know them or not, they know what you're talking about. So, yeah, look, if I could have my time again with kids, maybe I would wait a little bit longer. But then again, you know, I don't want to be old, as old as you, Swaino, when I have kids. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> what's
0: um? So moving on to the the podcast, Mitch. What's what's been the evolution for you? Like, what have you seen? From the very get go, because I remember listening to you talk about like your first episodes. It was just like a matter of you were just trying it out and you were just going to record and just see what happened. And you didn't even think that you would post any of that stuff. And now you're, you know, you've, you're working with the cycling podcast and, and you've got your own side deals uh, with Luft which yeah. which are great cuz they're the questions are evolving and and uh, I've been really enjoying those. And um I'm just curious how that's all changed for you over over the years now. It's how many years have you been doing it? It's 2 3 years. It's I think it's this is a 6 year. I mean, 216
2: we started. 16 wow. 17 18 19 20 21. Yeah, 6 years. Yeah, it has evolved and look in the beginning it was very much People, anyone out there who's listened to it from the start would know the pods came either thick and fast or none at all because it was just like, if I could be bothered, I would do it. And if I couldn't, I wouldn't. Um, and that was fine for what it was, you know, because, you know, till this day, it doesn't really make me any money, the podcast. And that's not whatever's been the driver. It's just been about um, listener feedback. And I love when that's what's kept it going. When I put the first couple of pods out, it was just purely like, oh, this is fun. I love listening to podcasts and I've actually got a podcast. How funny is this? But then people were giving me feedback and I was like, oh, people are listening to this and they actually like it. And so that drove it. That's what sort of kept me interested and I'd run into people at races and they'd say, mate, when's the next podcast? How come you haven't put a podcast out yet? Hmm. See, bloody hell, they're waiting for this. I've got to <laughs> do one, you know. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. That man. is awesome. But that, that's when it – sort of took another step after a few years where I did get a little bit, I guess, stale with it. You just, when you're only self-motivated and I was like, oh, I can't be bothered. And I took on a producer, which is a friend of mine's wife, Lara, and she, just having her involved, it wasn't a whole lot of work per se, but just having someone else involved made me feel like I had to report to someone, um, made me accountable to something. Someone else was involved now. I couldn't just slack it off and go, Ah, screw that. I'm going to put it up next week. It was like, we're going to put it out every two weeks. Um, this is the schedule we worked out a schedule and it was like, great. It took it to the next level. Um, and the, the following year, the cycling podcast con- contacted me. And again, that was just trying to get it out to a bigger listening audience and help me with a little bit of technique. Um, also with the editing. And again, it just took it to the slightly next step again. Suddenly I was reporting to a lot more people and They were expecting it at a certain date, and we had to, you know, we were talking about intros and stuff. And the thing I love about the pod personally for me is it was sort of like a little side job that I was doing that challenged me that was completely different to cycling. I had to research the guests, I had to think about what I was doing. I was nervous in the interview, I had to, you know, think about the question I was going to ask. Then, even just the technique stuff, I had to try and edit a pod or find out how to put podcasts up or, you know, and, some stuff was a hassle, but I think, like anything, if you do something that is slightly annoying, it's more gratifying at the end. You, know, you just feel better for it when the, when the episode comes out. You're like, yeah, great, I got that done. You know, And it was just another skill, building another little skill for, for whatever happens in the future, I don't know, or maybe nothing. It just allows you to be a better all round person, I guess, if you want that skill.
0: I I love that. And it's something uh, Randy and I have been talking about how, you know, in cycling, we get so wrapped up in that day-to-day performance in your training and, you know, you're kind of, your life is built around what you did on the bike that day and it can make or break your day. And I think looking back at my my time, I think I just had a lazy kind of outlook you know, yeah, I worked hard and whatever, and you had some hard races coming up and blah, blah, blah. But now that I'm removed from that situation, I realize what a, what a detriment that was to not really plan anything or be involved in anything else that was really challenging, like what you're talking about. And I think that's such a a good skill to give yourself in that time, because, you know, now that we're on the other side of those things, it's like, you have time as long as you have the the motivation right to to challenge yourself and i think that's a beautiful thing that you that you've done because also you have connection to all of these these riders that you can just kind of you know call upon what that a lot of people don't have that kind of access to right and that will that won't speak as freely you know with with most other interviewers than than someone like yourself who they've you know been shooting the shit with uh, in the gruppetto or whatever
2: yeah exactly and then I think you know aside from that in the stories you can literally relate to the moment um, which is a big part yes. of that connection that we spoke yeah. about in the beginning you know it's difficult for no matter how good a guy the guy is doing a, a journalist doing an interview, they can't relate to that crosswind no. in the rain, you know, coming into the climb. You know, like what was that bit about, you know? And yeah. you yeah. can
0: look at the guy across the
2: table and he's just like, I
0: oh, know, what the that fuck? D- that day in the Giro yeah. when we were just doing a light tempo for, for the day and that, that windy one. Yeah.
2: Literally every turn I did was my last turn and I came back and went, okay this is seriously it
0: i did that for 180 k yeah Yeah. oh Um, god so we're, we're curious like because you're you're a guy who's you know you're thinking man and and i always think you i think you have a an idea of where you might go when you're when you're done with this sport and i'm curious If, like, that, if you've been building towards anything, or if you want to let us know what that could look like for you um, on the other side,
2: nothing concrete yet. I really, I actually got some good advice from um, someone who said to me, Look, whatever you do, don't go straight into your your next career straight off this career. You know, don't think that your next job is going to be your career job because you're going to apply the same mentality. And this is something that Christian spoke about when I interviewed him and you guys interviewed him too. That cycling mentality is a powerful one. Well, let's just say the professional sport mentality because I'm sure it's the same in other professional sports. That self-driven, you know, go at all costs like i just i'm gonna make it mentality whatever and you apply that to another job it's going to be great but be careful because this was the advice he gave me and i thought it was quite good advice he goes just remember everyone comes along with you on that ride too you've got a lot of supporters with you whether that's your very close family your wife and your kids or your extended family, your parents, your brothers and your sisters, or your close friends, they're on with you with that ride. So when you're up, you're up. But also when you're down, they come down and they ride that low with you until you come back out of it as well. And I think what he was trying to say to me too was if you take that mentality into your next job and apply that same mentality into that, they're going to come with you with that and they don't deserve to do that now. You need to sort of distinguish Mitch as the pro cyclist to Mitch as the the guy who whatever job he's going to do. And that may take some time and a different mentality. You still got that driving mentality, but almost need to detach those um, support network from you a little bit because professional support requires that support network. But the next job potentially doesn't at that level. But if you apply that same mentality and you don't allow that time for separation, it could be dangerous. And I thought that was interesting, whether you know it needs to be that extreme or not. So, in, in that, in that um, mindset, I've sort of gone, let's just have a bit of time to sort of work out what that is and let's try a few things, whatever they may be. I'm not too sure yet. I'd love to, I would love to try my hand in some cycling commentary. Um, I'm just love watching cycling, um, and making yeah. funny, yeah. funny comments on it.
0: Um, I I think you, you almost need like an alternative, uh, feed <laughs> where like you can just kind of go off on, on different stories <laughs> of people. And yeah, I did start, be- I
2: did start that feed a couple of years ago, Gorilla commentary with Gus Morton and it was, oh, it, shit. Was, it was oh, yeah kid. yeah, but, um, I would still love to do podcasting and I don't know exactly what style it will be. You know, Life in the Peloton was very specific to what I'm doing. But I do, to go back on that point, I love the process of it, what it makes you do in terms of researching, in terms of being prepared for the moment, listening, interviewing. It's it's an art form and good podcasters and good interviewers, you hear them and you love listening to them. But if you're not really aware why, it's yeah. because they're good, you know, and yeah. that's why yeah. you know yeah. you're like they they get it, and that's yeah. real art to it. So that's what I'd love to keep pushing because it's I'm so far from being really good, you know. Yeah, I'm just yeah, but I, I starting would say to like to, you know? that's
0: that's just it. You're getting better all the time, and and just going back to your mate there, I think that's really good advice. Um, both Ryan and I can probably agree that that's a very important thing to to respect after, after you pull out Mm. of professional racing. And I think you're right. It's any, any sport or any career at a very high level, give yourself a bit of time, you know, make sure you can take some time where you're not just jumping into that next thing.
2: Yeah.
1: Cause I think like opportunities all of a sudden pop up and people reach out and things. And you're just like, you know, just taking that like laid back approach to it. It's like kind of wait and see it all. Maybe try a few different things and, and, uh, yeah, but like if you're, if some people I think end up being maybe in the situation where they're desperate and have to take the first thing and it's, yeah, it ends up being not yeah. what they wanted. And Exactly.
2: For sure. Look, it- and I guess that's, that is a big, big element of it, you know, the financial pull. Um, you know, and like you said, Swain, having a family too, you do feel that pressure now too. It's a different pressure. It's not just you in the game. So you got to, you got to weigh all that stuff up. It's making, like you said, Ryan, the, allowing yourself to think clearly in the moment and not just jump at, you know, whatever the next job is.
0: Yeah, totally. And and I think that's one thing, uh, you know, like we'd want to – I'm curious to know like what it looks like to you, to you now, like in that sense of like how you envision and then what it's like on the other side. So I can speak for for Ryan and myself. We had a vision of, of what – you know what we thought it was going to be and it's just been drastically different and it's evolved Mm. and changed in so many ways right and it was actually in the andrew pinfold uh podcast we were talking about it again and and he brought up something really great like take on like when you're going down that journey try a bunch of different things and in that process the the thing that you actually like is going to show itself at some point you're going to go like And it might not even be the thing that you set out to do right that you really love and before you know it but it's like give yourself that time and take those risks as well not risks on your family and all that kind of stuff like calculated risks where you're you know because you have to try these things in order to to really find what you're passionate about or or can sustainably do for for the next while
2: yeah i'm just i i I guess yeah what i envision it to be like I think I think I really will miss the structure. Yeah, you know, and like you sort of dream about like when you're in a the world, the cycling world, and being at races and whatever, and you're just like, oh, I can't wait to just do nothing, you know. And <laughs> all of a sudden, you have nothing to do, and that lasts for about a day, and you're like, oh, when's my next bloody race or whatever. Um, so I have lived for such a long time with this grey-line program, this ebbs and flows of my year and my life, um, to go back and to have, you know, I guess in loosely call it free time, I think that'll be a scary moment for me. Yeah. I don't know. It's something that I, I don't really know. And this idea of living in Australia again, you know, I've romanticized that. Yep. Um, but all, all of a sudden, I also go back every year in the honeymoon phase. I'm back for let's yep. say, three months a year, and everyone I see, my friends, knows you're only there for that short amount of time. So they really put themselves aside to see you, and you're this rock star who rolls in and people make time <laughs> for you and they're there and, yeah. you know, you can't do anything wrong because you're only back for a moment. And all yeah. of a sudden, they're going <laughs> to get back to Australia and be like, oh, you're back, dude. I'll see you like I don't know when, when I've got time. And like that might just hurt the ego a bit.
0: you like, oh, yeah,
2: but what the hell? Put your... Put yourself aside and drive out and see me. It's like, dude, yeah. I've got to work. It's
0: like the middle of the year. <laughs> hey, I'm man, some of us do real things for our living, yeah. okay?
2: <laughs> so like, I think like I'm sort of aware of that and being aware of it and when it actually happens are going to be two different things. Um, I think there's going to be this moment of like, you know, just say I go back in the end of the year and you have Christmas and everything, that'll still feel all the same, but it'll get to like I guess autumn when I'm normally back in – Europe, which is spring here, and Australia gets cold, which I've never been in for so long, and be like, oh, I'm home. Oh, yeah, I'm really yeah. home now, you know, yeah. and everyone just gets back into their normal grind and maybe I'll have something going by then. I don't know. I'm just sort of thinking of that and, like, maybe I'll just get fully into it and be like, oh, it's so good to be home. I don't know. Um, yeah. But I'm sure there's going to be elements that I'll miss of the old, Lazy, lazy lunas in Spain, where you just go and have a, a boozy lunch on a Monday, and everyone's working. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: You know, been- there's a certain freedom to that job for sure. That uh, I definitely, I mean, I don't uh, have rose-colored glasses when it comes to professional cycling at all. But the lifestyle that it provided in many ways was uh, it. There's some beautiful things if you can enjoy them, and yeah, I do miss those aspects of it for sure well mitch man it's been great catching up with you and uh really appreciate you giving us your time i know it's getting pretty late there kids gone to bed and uh yeah thanks so much for joining us yeah that was awesome
2: no worries boys and very honored to be on the podcast i'm a avid listener so
0: keep pumping them out yeah
1: thank you (laughs) well maybe we'll
0: get up to four or five listeners at the end of this week so that'd be (laughs) great (laughs) Well, let me post it on
2: mine and I'll sling a few of my listeners across from the big time. Love it. (laughs) Thanks, bud. Uh, No worries, guys. Thank you.
0: All right, everyone. Thanks for listening in to Back on the Bus podcast with Mitch Docker. That was a a great episode. We have one last uh, reminder about the tough valley rides. We're going to keep it to just Saturdays from now on. Unless you have a group that um, you want to bring in for the Sunday or any day for that matter, we're quite flexible. Uh, we have many routes ranging from, you know, 70K to 200 plus K. Whatever you're after, um, if you bring in a group, we can cater to all your needs. So, again, hit us up on uh, the website, toughcamps.com, or direct message Randy or myself. And uh, we really look forward to putting something together for you. We we would start and finish at uh, Healthy Hooch, and a big thanks to them for the support and giving us a great venue to, uh, start and finish our rides out of and yeah, all the kombucha you can drink and man, it, they got some good stuff going on over there along with their thrive remedy teas and different juices now. So they're, they're expanding and, uh, it's great to see what's going on there. So, yeah. And then one last thing I wanted to mention was, uh, this stuff uh, only happens cause, uh, my good, co-host here, Randy Anderson. He does all the, the good editing work, which uh, if it was left up to me, it'd probably take about three months to, to get an episode done. So thanks, Randy. And uh, we'll catch you guys in uh, another two weeks with our uh, next exciting guest. We're, we're, we're pretty stoked about it.